0: Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glendon Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, April 9, 2023. Hello, I'm Alex Goff,
1: and I serve as the campus pastor at Poplar Creek Church.
2: Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, the executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm
3: Kelly Brady, and I serve as senior pastor here at Glendon Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in today to the Next Level Podcast.
0: Good morning. Good morning. One. It's Tuesday morning, not Monday morning. Mm-hmm. So this is a little different rhythm for us. And
3: we've had a couple of weeks off, so we're back at it. Yeah. yeah. How was Easter for you guys? It was Amazing. great. Yeah.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: It was really good. Simone, you have family time? Y'all?
2: Like my own personal family? Or... I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, what do you do? Yeah, we I had... saw
3: you got a picture down front.
2: That was... I mean, it was just... Yeah.
3: Impromptu, right? Sure. It
2: definitely. Yeah, it was... um. It was a great day. We had a great day. We did have some family over in the afternoon, and it was slow. That's what I liked about it. Did, there yeah. wasn't this over. I, I'm talking the to the wrong was amazing. people. I had a really slow, relaxing day. <laughs> it was an easy Sunday. That morning. sounds amazing. <laughs> I was just taking my time.
0: <laughs> Every time I hear that song, "Easy Like Sunday Morning," I'm just like, no, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah. don't get it.
2: Yeah. Did you guys do? You, well, we already asked Alex mm, if he rested on.
3: We go. Are we on there? Oh is the television on?
0: <laughs> yeah, the television's on. That's, That's so funny. Okay. That was creepy. Okay, I just turned it off.
2: Uh, Let's just keep going. Yeah,
3: no, we are, <laughs> For the
0: listeners out there, we are in my office today cuz because we're recording on we re- usually record on the platform Monday mornings. And since we're recording on Tuesday, well, they have women's Bible study on Tuesday, which is a nice plug here for women's Bible study if you want to get involved. Well, <laughs> we have women's Bible study on Tuesdays. And that was Erin Christner's voice doing yes. the sound check. And so uh, that came through the TV in my office because we have the services piped in on, on the TV in my office. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. So... All right. Sunday, uh, so Sunday was great. Easter Alex was great. asked a great question yeah. earlier before we started. He said, "What was the the best thing about Sunday? You know, what yeah. was uh, however you worded it? Not the worst thing, but you know, what is what yeah. was something that you know? One of the the tough things, and maybe you could relate to this too, Kelly. Um, one of the tough things is there's just so much going on. It's hard to be in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Every other Sunday, it's very easy to be in the moment.
3: More easy. Right. It's just
0: yeah." Uh, but on Easter, there's just so many moving parts and so many things to think about it's it is hard. I had a couple moments where it was like, "Oh, I, I'm in the moment I'm feeling pastoral. The rest of it was just kind of like, "Here we go, you know, I'm trying to catch up to myself right like, how yeah. h- how do you feel on Easter mornings?
3: I like that kind of what would the word be the kinetic nature, the the almost the frenzy of it i Uh, that energizes me so i love jumping into the baptistry and getting to be a part of that jumping out of the baptistry getting up to preach yeah the hardest part for me is my voice yeah Mm. i just um and then i've had some knee troubles of late standing for three hours was difficult Mm. yeah um but you know i'm not here to whine i'm just you asked so yeah just the physicality of it um is a Gosh, I sound old. (laughs) But it was a ball. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad you said it. I was hugely encouraged by the baptism testimonies. I went and listened to the Poplar Creek testimonies. We work really hard as staff with those getting baptized, not to put words in the mouth, but to shape um, their testimony in a way that the gospel is clear. Gospel clarity can be difficult. In fact, there's a a question. uh, It's the first question out of the gate today about baptism and its meaning and purpose, but um, we want gospel clarity. We preach through song here. We preach through sermons. We preach uh, through these baptism testimonies. So we we don't want gospel confusion. And I was super encouraged uh, by the testimonies. That's Mm -hmm. good. Well, before we get
0: into the first question, I did want to just bring this up real quick because there are probably some people listening who are curious about how did it go at PCC? Yeah. Um, so and there's a lot to Over celebrate. the last couple of weeks, we've done a, we have done some outreach there. Mm-hmm. On Palm Sunday, we went out and flyer the neighborhoods. Five thousand door hangers. Yeah, and hung hangers on door, you know, little flyers yeah. on door hangers and all that. So and, and it was an ask to come to Easter. Hey, yeah. come to Easter. Uh, and on Friday, good on Good Friday, we had an, an Easter egg. Event where a, for somewhere between five hundred and a thousand people showed up. That's the. It, was there ever an official number? Yeah.
1: yeah so um, we there were two hundred and fifty cars, and we know that for sure. And yeah. so um, there were some cars that had two people in it. There were some cars that had six people in it. Yeah. Um, I'd I'd push the numbers closer to seven hundred and fifty to a thousand. And what was what was so crazy about the day was that we were planning on around three hundred people um but what that <laughs> what um what that told us though was that uh there was a need and, yeah. and looking out at the crowd there were definitely some glennellan families and there were a few pcc families but a ton of people that uh did not have a church home and okay. so it opened the door for a lot of really neat gospel conversations and just you know oh there's that passage in Romans about accepting others as Christ accepted you you know trying to model that love that Christ showed us yeah. on Friday and it was just a lot of fun and I,
0: so then the the question is, okay, is that going to translate? Are people going to actually come out to Easter and... We're happy to report that that we did. People did. People
1: came so out from the, the neighborhoods. The, what was right? the
3: attendance on Sunday morning?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm pulling that up now.
3: Ballpark, um, it's like 168, 165. Yeah, we Between had, two services, be, right? Between
1: two services, so total, we had a 168 people attend at Poplar Creek, 168. And to put that in perspective, usually on a Sunday, we uh, run around 75 people.
3: Yeah, so it's twice
1: the average attendance.
3: Yeah. Which yeah. is great. That's it's, amazing.
0: It's terrific. Praise God for that. Yeah. And the coolest
1: lots
3: part, of visitors.
1: Yeah. And the coolest part was seeing the fruit of some of the labors. Mm-hmm. So there was one person that I was talking to on Sunday that was talking about how they were really wrestling with the fact that they had kind of fallen away from their faith in the church and they were praying and they're like, God, give me a sign that you want me to go back. And they walked outside, and there on their door was the door hanger. (laughs) Here's a sign. (laughs) Yeah, like literally. Um, There was another guy that was driving around town, and he's like, I just kept seeing these yard signs for your church. And so I decided to check it out. That's awesome. Um, We had a a conversation at the Easter Egg Con on Friday. Um, A grandmother brought a granddaughter, and the granddaughter uh, was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. And so we had the opportunity to gather around this family and pray for them. Uh, it's that it's wow. those types of moments that, despite all the frenzy of this last weekend of ministry, it makes it totally worth it. Yeah. You know. Yep. Yeah.
3: It's good stuff. Lots right. of folks to follow up with this yeah. week. So yeah. yeah.
0: Um, all right. Let's uh, let's get into some questions. We have a lot today. First up, during baptisms on Sunday, the point was made that baptism is only a symbol, and you don't get saved by getting wet. How do you reconcile this with Peter's sermon in Acts two, where he connects baptism, repentance, and forgiveness?
3: Yeah, so in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight, um, Peter uh, tells the the crowd. It's it's the crowd out on the streets, gathered after Pentecost, is 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 in full um, bloom. There, the Spirit has descended, and people are saying, "What's going on?" And he preaches this long sermon, and then and then he directs them. He's saying, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the." jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you'll receive the gift of the holy spirit Um, so it i would say you know he connects he does in fact he gives them instructions Um, they ask what shall we do is their question how do we respond to this and he tells them repent and be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the holy spirit as well as forgiveness of sins uh Simply because he's attached baptism there doesn't mean that baptism saves us. Um, I think that the best thing we could say is that baptism's an expression of faith. It's, um, it's an indication of repentance. So John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. He said, repent and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Demonstrate your repentance. So there, there's a lifestyle of repentance. And if you're newer to spiritual matters, uh, repentance is to turn from sin and turn toward godliness it's an active lifestyle of trying to cultivate godliness and and we're not saved by producing good works so but we express the saving work of god in our lives we demonstrate that god's at work in our lives through things like baptism so i think it's it's he's just saying that here is how you can express your repentance repent and be baptized every one of you and so, uh, you know, a verse like this, we need to we need to make sure that we understand that we take it uh, in the context of not just a singular chapter, but all the New Testament. Um, so, you know, Paul says to the Philippian jailer in the same book, Acts sixteen. He later says, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved." He didn't even mention yeah. baptism. Now, the Philippian jailer and their whole ha- household goes on to be baptized, but. We need to be really clear that we're saved by grace, that is, it's a gift through faith apart from anything we do, and we're justified before God by our faith in Jesus, not by our faith in our works.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I always felt like the imagery of a wedding ring was helpful, that, a, a, you know, talking about expression, a wedding ring is an expression. Wearing
3: a ring doesn't make you married. That's right. Right. Yeah. But it's a symbol of the commitment I've made. It's, mm-hmm. it's an outward symbol of the inward commitment I've made. Yeah. 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 You know, um,
0: anytime you're wrestling with something like this where okay, – because if you just read this one line, it does sound like that, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus, uh, for forgiveness of your sins, you receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So um, read the paragraphs before. Like if you're seeing a, a a line or a section that doesn't make sure to read it
3: in context. Yes,
0: yeah. yeah. Read the paragraphs before the chapter before the chapter after. Ask yourself some questions. What's going on here? What uh, culturally? What's going on? Where is this happening? So, um, and we just you know we just finished the book of Acts um, with some of it, and like right here the they just they just received the Holy Spirit. It yes. just happened. Right. Right. Like it just happened. There's a big crowd. Right. Um, people, the people who did receive the Holy Spirit are speaking in some of the crowd's native languages, and it's kind of a kind of a it's, it's a chaotic scene. And some of the people are accusing them of being drunk. Right. And Peter steps out and says, no, 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 these guys aren't drunk. This not this isn't what's going on. And he goes on this long explanation of like, you know, this is what's happening. And so, I mean, if you take all of that in context, you could easily come up with a lot of reasons why uh Peter would be prescribing an outward sign of you know like an inward reality yeah uh, totally yeah Mm -hmm. I mean can you imagine what that how what that would be like in that frenzied of a scene (laughs) and people are speaking all kinds of languages and then and then people start coming forward for repentance and baptism and like
2: Mm -hmm. I don't
0: know it it would set it off on a different trajectory like
2: along those same lines about context um isn't it true that baptism is also the new circumcision? So like to go even deeper and further back, it's not just, this is not a new idea.
3: Yeah, that we'd be taking outward symbol, Mm -hmm. right?
2: I just, I think that's important just to mention as well, because at one point circumcision was for a certain people group only. Mm -hmm. And here is the gospel that um, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's a symbolism that um, is not, is no longer just for, a certain people group. It is the God, I mean, the gospel is now available and made, um, and the outward symbolism of it for all to participate. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's an important point to, to know and to make that, um, for those of you who are, have been longtime believers Mm -hmm. and haven't been baptized to know that it goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. It's not just a, um, it's not something we just see in the new Testament, but this is the commitment and the symbolism of, your faith demonstrated through your actions um, goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible.
1: Is it is it true for like first century Christians? Because talking about the importance of like studying context, Matt, for first like first century Christians, baptism happened almost immediately after that confession and repentance.
3: Yeah, I think so. I think that that's safe um, to to say that. The earliest church baptism happened immediately, almost. Or yeah, and uh, as the church grew mature, there were um, there was often a catechism required, and it mm. took some more time. Catechesis mm-hmm. just means learning or instruction, and um, and new believers were required to go through an instructional period to make sure they understood the gospel. Yeah, and um, okay,
1: because yeah. that might be one of the reasons why Peter is is putting baptism so close to this is because maybe that's kind of what the, the expectation was for that Mm -hmm. time. Yeah.
3: Interesting. I do think it's important um, that we not diminish the value of baptism in our tradition. Baptism doesn't hold the prominence that I think it could hold, should hold Um, um, because we, it's um, it's a symbol. We should, we should not forget. It's also a command. Christ said, be baptized. And so it's important that, I think Simone was touching on it, it's important that we not uh, diminish the symbols we're given, such as the Lord's Supper, communion, baptism. These are very important. It's a real opportunity to preach. It's so encouraging to me, and I would assume to everybody, given the response from Sunday, to hear people share their testimonies just prior to baptism and watch people get, get dunked.
1: Yeah, there were, th- there were three
0: sermons preached at PCC on Sunday.
1: Right,
3: exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, Second one, I'm confused about the resurrection's significance. Is it actually a promise that we will be raised too? If so, I didn't realize that. Wouldn't Jesus' death alone have been sufficient to forgive our sins, allowing
3: us to live eternally with God? Why do our bodies need to be raised? You know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is our bodies need to be raised because God loves our bodies. Um, And I don't think we talk about that enough Creation was God's idea, it wasn't my idea. Uh, I'm a part of creation, but you know, I just I look at spring in full bloom outside, um, and just the beauty of it. Uh, that was all God's idea, and so our bodies need to be raised because God has designed us to have bodies, and God loves our bodies, and we're to honor God with our bodies. First Corinthians chapter six. The, the it's interesting. Um, the I want to. I'll keep it really short here. The death of Christ would not have been sufficient for the saving of humanity. The resurrection is both necessary and sufficient. Um, uh, we need both Good Friday, the death of Christ, and Easter morning.
0: You're, just to clarify, you're saying if, if it were only the death. Right,
3: And right. not a resurrection is what yeah. you're Did saying, Did I right? speak, yes. misspeak, or? No, 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 I just wanted to make yeah, sure yeah, yeah.
0: people are hearing.
3: We have to have the resurrection. The Apostle yeah. Paul actually says as much that Jesus' resurrection is a vital part of delivering us from our sins. Um, so I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's from the chapter that both campuses preached on Easter morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 to 18. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins.
0: Hmm.
3: So it's not um, only the death of Christ that delivers us from sin, but it's also it's the death coupled with the resurrection Um that are needed for the forgiveness of sins. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: a lot of this goes back to how you grew up viewing eternity. Like I grew up thinking that you know you're up in the clouds and everybody's got Don't wings me. and playing it, harps. Yeah, playing harps and it very disconnected. Yes, um, and from Earth and the space. And the more that you know, I've gone through Bible college and church and just listening and reading texts like this. The book of Genesis and the Garden of Eden, I think, is the best picture of what eternity with God is going to look like. It's a blending of heaven and earth together. God walked among his people. And when you look at the book of Revelation, it's really trying to get us back to that point. And so this question of, like, why do we need our bodies? It's because it's not just a new heavens, it's It's a new earth. Yeah. There are pieces and parts of this world right now that our glimpses and reflections, that I think, of what our eternity with God is going to look like.
3: I think it's Simone's work, um, redeeming the lives of women. I mean, God loves the the physical nature and the, the body-mind-soul connection, and the work you do to restore these women who have been trafficked is a beautiful work um, and an indication of God's value mm-hmm. of not just our souls. Uh, we're not designed to be disembodied spirits, disembodied souls. We're designed to be embodied.
2: Mm-hmm. So Have you ever thought about how the disciples didn't anticipate Jesus res- like that he was going to be raised? You know, oh, like yeah. he's, they were surprised. Like, they isn't that kind of like, oh, we are so dumb. Like yes. you know like hu- human We'll have equal yeah. surprises. Yeah, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'm sure. And I I think what why that struck me differently this year um, and this is going to just show my age. It's Speaking of feeling old, just the more, you know, Jesus and, and walk with him, like all of a sudden this becomes so much more like rich, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, I, Full. Sa- I yeah. just sat at what, like you said, felt like a funeral Friday night, a good, good Friday service and I grieved. It was it was a beautiful service. Mm. So I don't want to like. I make sure I want to say that it was a beautiful make, funeral. It was. <laughs> it was well. It was just so well done, and it prepared my heart to grieve, so that I longed for, for Sunday. Sunday. Oh, I yeah. mean, longed yeah. for it. And I, when thinking about this question, I thought, why didn't the dis- Why were they not waiting outside the tomb? <laughs> knock, knock, right? right. Like, and, why were they? Because not- right. he says. Jesus says multiple times, right. I will be raised. Yeah. I am the resurrection. So why were they so surprised and why were they not waiting? And I think, I, I hope I can make the connection to this question. Um, dying, Jesus' death was not enough. He had to be resurrected because we all die too. We, you know, That is a part of life. And he had to go do it first and demonstrate that death is not the end. So he had to... He, the entire gospel includes resurrection because it overcomes death and sin. And it, he does it first to demonstrate to us what, what is waiting for us. And I just don't want to be like these disciples who forget that. And, and I can understand or I, in a small glimpse of like that grief in that mourning that maybe it clouds your judgment and you're just so in the moment of grief that you forget everything that he said. Mm. But we don't have to be there. We know that he was resurrected. And so um, I just keep thinking like, Lord, help me be different than the disciples who forgot that you said you were going to be raised to life. And I want to be waiting at the Mm. tomb. I want to anticipate the miracle Mm. of you overcoming. And I don't know, that just struck me differently this year in my my (laughs) mid-40s.
1: In the midst of hardship, just as the disciples forgot the end of the story, we can forget the end of the story in the Mm. midst of our hardship. Yeah. 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 You know what I love
0: about this question is the person is asking, is it actually a promise that we will be raised Mm to? If so, I didn't know that. The answer is yes, it is a promise. You will be raised Mm to. You will receive a new body. That's one of the reasons why we need to go through this process. Kelly, I was waiting for Kelly to give his God is a process-oriented, you know, God. It's
3: the next question, (laughs) or it's later anyway. Yeah, sure. Um,
0: Why is he he is process-oriented? But I love the fact that somebody wrote in mm-hmm. and this is news to them because you know what and and don't feel belittled because of that don't feel small because of that right. all four of us in this room still to we're this learning day, hopefully have moments where you're like
3: oh gosh i yesterday okay all right yesterday i drove to charleston illinois to see my son i took him some furniture he just moved into a place so i had six hours in the car yesterday which for me is i love the road trip and I listened to Easter sermons uh, preached by uh, various churches in the area. I listened to about 10 sermons. And I learned. I had these a couple aha yeah. moments yeah. that were just beautiful and brilliant and since the Spirit at work in the churches around us yeah. in our community. So I was super thankful for that. But yes, you, you will be raised. You will receive a new body. Let me re- um, read this Romans 8 verse here. I, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as yes. in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, so the the first inklings of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, mm. and then he says, the redemption of our bodies.
0: Yeah. yeah. And you know, after the entering of sin, like I read a paper on this in seminary just how, about what it meant for the ground to be cursed. Our world is cursed, the ground is cursed. It doesn't it doesn't produce the way that it was supposed to, the way that it was intended to, and neither do we. And so all of those things will be resurrected to what Alex was talking about earlier. And there will be a combination between the new heavens and new earth, but we will be here. Mm-hmm. And cause like what you were saying about, you know, how you always thought about heaven, and I always did too, that it was just this far-off place, very celestial, ethereal. Disconnected. Disconnected. But no, yeah. it'll be very connected. You'll be very physically present here on well, this and earth. I... And it'll look, different, but it'll be different.
3: And you'll—I think we can—we can safely say it'll be a highly productive, fulfilling experience. Mm-hmm. So I, I would go so far as to say the best day on Earth, the day of deepest relationship, the day of richest rela- relationship and richest productivity, will be a, like a day in heaven. We'll, we'll use our gifts, our capacities, our talents. Yeah. To bring him glory and to bless one another. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: that that makes me so much more excited than mm-hmm. floating around totally. and having like, playing harps, <laughs> right?
2: Isn't this also in the context of Eden? Don't we go back to the garden? Or back, is, that, is that debatable?
3: Back is is probably loaded. Mm-hmm. I think we go mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. To a, to a beautiful, you read the book of Revelation, and you get this, there are the two trees there again, uh-huh. and the fruit of the trees feed the people of God, and there's a river. So yeah, it's, it's Edenic. Mm-hmm. It's like this garden, but... It's a city. Yeah. It's a
2: city, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. The New Jerusalem. Nice. All right, let's, um, let's go to the next one. It
0: seems to me that Jesus could have done more to establish the historical truth about his resurrection. For example, by appearing to 10,000 people instead of 500 or personally writing about his own death and resurrection. So why didn't Jesus make it incontrovertible that he died and was raised from the grave?
2: I
3: love this question.
2: <laughs> I had to look up incontrovertible. <laughs> I
3: can't wait. Let's, cho- let's dig into this. Sure. Great question. When exactly does evidence become incontrovertible? Okay, let me start with that question. For example... The question asker says that 500 witnesses are not enough for incontrovertibility and proposed 10,000 might be needed. What about the person who next says, well, 10,000 isn't enough for me. I need 10,001. In other words, when does the demand for evidence stop? When is there enough evidence? And as you suggested... Uh, the the question asker, if four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, of Jesus' life aren't enough, and we actually needed Jesus to write his own account, an autobiography, what do we say to the person who next demands, well, it's great to have an autobiography by Jesus, of Jesus' own life, but I need to actually meet with Jesus, or I will not believe. This, is act, this demand for evidence is what Jesus met with in Thomas, one of his followers, who oh said, God. I'll not believe unless I see the wounds and see him raised with wounds. What well, Jesus is gracious and compassionate uh, to Thomas, shows him his body. He says, here, put your hand in my side. Uh, see my wounds. But then he goes on to say, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed. Are those who have not seen me and yet have believed, which means the listeners, because we haven't seen Jesus, we don't we don't have that luxury. But belief is still uh, reasonable. There's still good reason to believe, and we can be happy in that. The desire for incontrovertible evidence is often, I think, a a distraction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a desire to do away with the need for faith. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that was, the truth is there's a mo- there's more than enough evidence for those who want to believe, and there'll never be enough evidence for those who do not want to believe. Yeah. Humans are interesting in how they treat evidence for the resurrection, even when it is in fact incontrovertible. Let me give you an example. So... Consider the human reaction to the resurrection of Lazarus. The human reaction was divided at best. Some people, a good point. Mary and Martha, saw the resurrection of Lazarus and said, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Lazarus came out of the tomb, embraced his good buddy Jesus after being dead for four days. The interesting thing is some people saw that resurrection and they got angry. Yeah. Their response was, they were actually mad at Jesus, and it was it was the resurrection of Jesus uh, of Lazarus that convinced the Jewish religious leaders that they were now had to put Jesus to death. Hmm, yeah. So it's fascinating with evidence. I I get it. It's a, it's very human to want more evidence. I was th- reading, I was listening to these sermons by these other preachers yesterday in the car, and about the angelic appearings that are very common in the resurrection accounts, and I thought, I was talking to God, I, and I was talking to him about, I would love to see an angel. Then I thought, why do you need to see an angel, Kelly? <laughs> 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 and, I, and I thought, you're right, God, I don't need to see an angel. I, I have all that I need for faith, life and godliness, we're told. So the, the, de, the desire for more evidence is very human, but let's be careful that what we really want is not to live by faith. That's yeah. it, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I was gonna say the the other story that came to mind when talking about Jesus was the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's this wild, wild, wild parable in Luke sixteen, uh, where this this rich man. Uh, it's
3: actually not told as a parable; it's told as a story. Is it really? Yeah. See, still learning, guys.
1: Yeah, still learning. Um, this rich man is ignoring the poor around him, and and Jesus is telling the story about how. He is um, in hell. And Luke sixteen verse twenty seven, um, this rich man says, "Then I I beg you, father, to, um, to to go to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment." But Abraham said, "They have Moses and the prophets; let them hear them." And then in verse thirty one. Um, Abraham says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if somebody should rise from the dead. Even
3: if someone should rise from the dead. Even. And he's saying, and I think it's an homage to his own resurrection, Mm -hmm. that there will be many Jews who do not believe even when I'm raised from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. It
1: speaks to this reality that um, no matter how much evidence there is, there's going to be people that are, as you said, enraged.
0: And a lot of it's perspective, too. I mean, in some ways, the question sort of implodes on itself. Uh, And I don't mean that as a disrespectful uh, observation, but Jesus could have just showed up and said, hey, guys, I'm the Messiah. I'm going to die right now, and I'm going to be raised in three days. But he didn't. He spent three years doing ministry, traveling to different cities, different towns, raising people from the dead, performing miracle after miracle after miracle. Mm -hmm. And so like that's a... That is a whole lot of evidence. It's now, terrible. you may not think that it is, but I do. Yeah. Right. If you don't think that it is, uh, but you're still wanting you're to still know seeking. the truth about God, you're still seeking, then just ask Him. Ask God. Pray. Ask Him. Reveal yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I did a long time ago. Like, yeah. was like, okay, God, if this is real... I need to be convinced. Yeah. And now I wasn't like, you know, oh, like, you know, it It was... I think I had a good intentions and a good spirit in, in doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I remember asking God just like, Mm -hmm. okay, I, I want to believe, but I I don't know how, would you please show yourself to me?
2: Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is worth adding, but there were other people at this time and centuries before and after Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah. Mm -hmm. I can't name one of them. Thaddeus. Okay. Well, you can. (laughs) (laughs) My point is that, uh, however many years later. 2000 years later, we are still talking about Jesus. So, mm-hmm. I don't, I, to me, it, I've never struggled with the question about evidence. You know, I think what you just said, the evidence of my own life, my own life transformation, my own heart, and the peace I have from a commitment to Jesus is the evidence that I need. I know myself before Jesus and I know myself after Jesus. That's the evidence that, you know, keeps my faith going. Yeah. Um, but I also think about the practicality of, it's been over 2,000 years and we're still talking about it. We're still worshiping this God who is different than any other God who says, I will die and forgive you and love you so that you can repent, yeah. which is so different than every other God who says, do all of this and then I will love you and forgive you. It's just that message has stood the test of time and that to me is yeah. the evidence.
0: You know, Also, I don't want an autobiography. Mm. I don't. I don't want to... He- I want to hear from the people that were around him, writing at different times, and looking at how they all line up, because they do line up. Mm. They line up unbelievably well. (laughs) That is far, far more evidence than somebody writing their own account of their own life and the things that they did. Mm -hmm. As soon as somebody writes their own account and starts saying some things that are, oh, I did this, and I did that, and they're unbelievable, I I find them unbelievable. Mm. I want to hear about the people that were with yeah. you, like I want to hear their perspectives and their what you know. what they There's a reason why you have to give uh, uh, what's it called references, credit, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> references. Mm-hmm. Like you just can't write up a resume and say yeah. this is who I am and this is what I did. No, people want to know. Okay, well, let me uh, let me verify that with other people's mm-hmm. views right. and on they, you.
2: And, and obviously, to me, I feel like it's obvious. You know the writers of the of the New Testament who were giving these eyewitnesses account wouldn't have chosen the way in which Jesus revealed Himself after the resurrection as a credible eyewitness account, right? right? Because women <laughs> totally. didn't have a testimony; they didn't have yep. two feet to stand on. And yet, that's who Jesus appeared to. Those were the eyewitnesses, the first to mm-hmm. see his resurrected body. And so, again, to me, that's just more evidence that.
3: Let, I'm me, to say I don't need. let me read the uh, section from Acts that Simona is referencing about. False messiahs. Uh, Gamaliel, a, a Jewish religious leader, stands up and um, and he's he's defending the persecuted uh, 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 apostles. He's saying, "Hey, give these guys a break, because if their messiah is not the real messiah, this is all going to fall apart." And he gives as evidence other false messiahs. So it's Acts chapter five. Um, the, uh, he says, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, Luke's reporting, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, um, Acts 534, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while, those the, the apostles that are being persecuted by the Sanhedrin. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin saying, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these apostles of Christ. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and his folks scattered, his followers scattered. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, led a revolt, he was killed, and his followers scattered. So it's interesting that, Christ's followers only grew in mm. their strength of testimony after the post-resurrection appearances.
1: Mm. That's evidence.
3: Yeah. yeah, I love that passage. There I, were 40, and I was a part of one of the Easter sermons I heard yesterday, so I'm actually, um, it was fresh news to me, 40 false messiahs during this period.
2: See, that was my point. <laughs> That's a lot. It would, yeah. it would
3: do us,
0: I think about that passage a lot, because I often think like it would do us well, Christians, it would do us well... To have that posture mm-hmm. uh, that he had, like, hey man, if, if God's in
3: this, and mm-hmm. it. well, it, it would do pastors really well to have that posture, because we tend to think the church rests on our shoulders. Yes, mm. right. Like, we need to, we need to find the. The charisma doesn't, doesn't mean you can check out
1: or no. do
0: nothing, but still, yeah. like, you don't no. have to feel yeah. the burden and weight of responsibility of growing the church. Yeah, and there,
3: and there, frankly, there's a tension there. I, I need to be diligent, but God yeah. has, God's growing his church. Yeah, oh, that's good.
0: All right, um, next one. If the resurrection was Jesus' victory over death, then why does death continue today? Why didn't God establish the
3: new heaven and new earth immediately after the resurrection? This gets to that process issue that you had mentioned. And I I always reflect that it stumps me that the Bible isn't four chapters long. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, creation. Genesis chapter 2, the marriage of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, the fall. Genesis chapter 4, Jesus comes and redeems everything. The end. Yeah, the end. But God is very process-oriented. He is working throughout time and space, and we need to be content in that. Um, so So let me get to the... The question here, why didn't God establish a new heaven and new earth right away if Jesus' resurrection was a victory over death? I'm not sure why God's so process-oriented, but he is process-oriented, and so this is taking time. It's unfolding slowly. In fact, uh, I forget where in the New Testament, but we're told that Christ came in the fullness of time, that there was this perfect timing of God the Father in sending his son to give his life. What I can say, although I don't know why Christ hasn't returned and the new heavens and new earth aren't underway, what I can say is, number one, Jesus was aware that death would continue. Yeah. So God the Son is not surprised that, it's, that the culmination of history hasn't taken place yet. He, so Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. So there is a reference here to there is eternal life guaranteed to those who are trusting in Christ, even though we continue to die out. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. Even though we die. Number two, Jesus foretold of his return, which means he knew there would be a delay. Don't let your hearts be troubled. John Mm -hmm. chapter 14. Uh, You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If there were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare. I would not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you there in my father's house. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be there. He knows there's this delay. I'm going to go, then I'll return. He doesn't tell us how long it'll be, but we can't expect um, a passing of time. Finally, God delays in returning, Uh, God's delay in in his son returning will result in more glory to God and more good for his people. We can say that confidently because of the character of God. Uh, The apostle Peter Peter writes as much in his second letter. He said, um, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. So time's not experienced by our father the way it's experienced by us. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting any to perish. So there is a there's a reason why God delays in setting up the new heavens and the new earth. And a part of that is the redemption of all the people that he he wants to redeem. Yes,
1: I'm glad you mentioned that verse because that's when I was reading this question this morning. That's where my mind went. What does Jesus's return signify, and what it signifies is that, yes, sin will be removed, um, death will be removed. But for the people that have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, what, is that, what does that mean for them? And, and Second Peter says it, um, instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Hmm. Um, and, and while I appreciate this question being asked of, like, why didn't God establish the new heaven and new earth immediately? Because um, there's a lot of people out there that don't know about Jesus. And, and that second Peter passage motivates me to missional urgency, uh, I, and I feel like the person that struck that tension really well was Paul, where he talked about how, um, you know, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to make the most of every opportunity to share the gospel with the people around me, but at the same time, I'm so eager for Jesus to return, and there's that there's a little bit of tension there, but I think that's
0: to die is gain. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I think that's something that we all should wrestle with, like excitement for jesus's return but at, at the same time uh missional motivation to go out and share the gospel um in that way we mirror the heart
0: of god all right let's go to the next one this is
3: a, an age-old question here and a good one and so and the reason i think this one is not <laughs> directly tied to easter i kind of threw out an invitation hey whatever questions you got yeah
0: and love that you did that yeah uh so here's this one why do bad things happen to good people
3: all right, so there's a, several different layers to the possible answer here, all right? So jump in at whatever strikes you guys. But mm-hmm. first of all, if you're if the listener asking this question is suffering, and most of us are suffering to some degree, I want to start by saying God is love. God, God is loving, and God is love, which means all our suffering breaks his heart. Mm-hmm. So if you're asking the question because you're suffering or someone you love is suffering, rest assured God is love. Uh, he joins us in the valley of the shadow of death. All right? Um, I, I think the shortest way to I would answer this is bad things happen to us because we live in a bad world. We live in a fallen world. There are lots of good things that happen to us as well, uh, but the collective nature of sin in the world uh, breeds a situation in which uh, we suffer. And so all the cumulative sin in the world uh, brings suffering into our lives. And so sometimes we suffer simply because we live in a world that's full of suffering.
1: Why do, you know, why do bad things happen? Uh, it take comfort in the fact that bad things also happen to Jesus. Hmm. You know, we don't pray to a God that doesn't understand, yeah. that hasn't experienced the, the wounds of living in a broken world. And Simone, like you said earlier don't let the bad things now cloud, cloud you or cause you to forget the beauty of mm. the resurrection. Mm-hmm. That the worst thing is never the last
3: thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. Mm-hmm. All right. So I've done my best to answer the emotive part of it. Yeah. Now let me try and challenge, okay? <laughs> I want, when we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? I want to challenge our understanding of who is good. Someone came to Jesus once and greeted him. It was a very common greeting, and the greeting was, good teacher. And he went on to say, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, wanting to try and get the man's attention, said, why do you call me good? Now, this would, for us, it'd be like me seeing somebody at the gym and saying, hey, what's up? It's just a really common greeting. And so this guy goes, good teacher. And Jesus responds, why do you call me good? And then Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. And the reason he turns it on this guy is he's wanting the guy to think about what is good, who is good. He's wanting the guy to realize that no one's good but God alone. He's wanting the guy to realize Jesus is God. Y'all following this? Mm -hmm. All right. I point this out to the question asker because no one is good but God. So when we ask the question, why do good people, why do bad things happen to good people, we need to be careful with our categories. No one is truly good. Yeah. Some people are better than others in this room. right? There's four of us. <laughs> Some, someone in here is most moral. And someone in here is least moral.
2: Can you quickly just rank us? I'm just yes. And please, let's Simone <laughs> is most moral. I was just kidding.
3: So my, my, we have a tendency to say that some people are truly innocent.
2: Yeah.
3: And it's true. Some are more innocent than others. And some don't deserve to suffer as much as they do. But there's no one truly good. We're all sinful. That's That's the point I want to make. So we're all sinful, we're all contributing to the sin in the world, and the only good person is Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God that he came, he, Alex's point, he joined us in our suffering. So perhaps the more compelling question is why do good things happen to bad people? And this is exactly what C.S. Lewis said, yep. I'll give you a problem, I'll give you an answer for the problem of evil. Why does God allow evil to continue when you give me an answer for why does any good happen at all in a world filled with bad people? His point was, good happens because God is present here.
2: Mm. Yes. Yeah. I think my heart wants to hear what you're saying over and over and over because this is a question we face all the time at Naomi's house. And and mm-hmm. I don't think any woman is raising her hand saying I'm perfect. Exactly. Right. But in spite of knowing that none is no one is good except for God. We know that in our in our heads, like that's a theological truth, we know that and we know that logically. But even though it, but that doesn't explain the hurt and the suffering we feel, especially if bad things have been done to us. And so despite the truth that no one is good except for God, that doesn't always logically solve the emotional pain. And so because God knows that, he will come and enter into that suffering and that pain with us. And his presence is what heals us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just can't I, I can't. I can't preach that loud enough. Like I can't sing that loud enough on a, and and you know, in worship or or whatever, or have that conversation in depth enough with the person who needs to hear it, because God's presence, inviting him into your life and into the moment and even into the pain, mm-hmm. is what heals us. Yeah,
0: I'm glad that Kelly answered it in in two levels because, you know, sitting in a, you know, pretty posh office sipping coffee saying things like why do good things happen to bad people mm-hmm. isn't a comfort to somebody who yeah. something. had something horrible yeah. happen to their three or
3: four year old right yeah. Yeah. absolutely
0: and so I, or in a,
3: i think of the women trafficked the statistics around abuse right. Right. right childhood abuse for women that are trafficked i'm assuming are astronomical yeah. right. very high so i you know for me one of the things that when
0: i think about things like that or when something does happen that's you know in that arena then it hits close to home, and I start to kind of just question and wonder, because that happens to all of us, Um, you know, I think about, well, what's the alternative? Either God is allowing this to happen, and I have to reconcile why a God would do that, why God would do that. The alternative is, there is no God, and this is meaningless and senseless and pointless, yet I still feel the devastation. I don't like that alternative. Right. Hmm. That alternative offers zero hope. That's right. The alternative that the God of the Bible offers is that, yes, you will suffer. This is going to be difficult, but I will not waste it. Mm-hmm. I will not waste it. Your suffering will not be wasted. It will work for good. Yeah. You may not see it. You, will, yeah. you probably will not mm-hmm. see it. For a while. Exactly. Right. In for this life. But it will work for good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one route. And the other route is it happened and there's nothing you can do, say, think, feel yeah. about it. There's n- there's no there's okay. no remedy. That's yeah. the other option. I just I don't love like that the, option. Well,
3: I love you're pointing out the worldview for a Christian. The Christian worldview is n- that every tear shed will be redeemed. Mm. Every so. tear shed. Yeah, well,
2: such hope.
1: If you are um, listening to this and suffering, um, I just want to plug the beauty of the church mm. that we're just not. Uh, God's intention is for you not to suffer alone, for you to cry alone. I, I think of First Thessalonians five eleven. It says, "Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing." Places like Naomi's house. Uh, the beauty of that. The beauty of what's happening at Poplar or Glen Ellen is that um, people can come in with those tears and find someone to listen.
0: Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. All right. Let's uh, let's go to the next one. This isn't about today's sermon, but I was wondering. In Matthew 12, Jesus says that you cannot be forgiven if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. What exactly does he mean? And how does
3: this line up with God's love for us? So generally speaking, to blaspheme is to accuse God of evil or call God evil. It's, it's, it's to speak or act in a way that attributes evil to God. That's blasphemy. The concept of blasphemy against the spirit is mentioned both in Mark chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 12. Jesus had just cast a demon out of a man and the man was formerly blind and deaf um, and and then could see and speak uh, and hear. And a group of Pharisees accused Jesus of being able to cast this demon out because Jesus has a devil in him. Or he is the devil. Uh, and that's when Jesus begins to talk about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, they had just spoken against the Son of Man, Jesus, you'll be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. His point is, this miracle of exorcism, delivering this man from a demon, was done by the Holy Spirit. He's telling these Pharisees, be very careful when you not to label the work of the Holy Spirit as evil that you'll not be forgiven. So the Pharisees had witnessed what was irrefutable proof that Jesus was working under the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, they claimed instead that, he, that Jesus was the devil or possessed by a devil. And blasphemy against the Holy Spirit has to do with accusing Jesus Christ of being evil or demon-possessed. That's what it has to do with. Uh, this particular type of blasphemy, I'm not sure it's duplicable,
1: interesting
3: I think you I think it was unique mm. and a unique warning uh, to the people present that day or present in and around Christ's earthly ministry don't call what I do by the power of the Holy Spirit as evil or you'll not be forgiven it's a warning to them basically and I I think perhaps it's there are there are people that believe you you actually can't commit this sin anymore because Christ had been raised and ascended Uh Whether or not you can blasphemy God, you know, that's really kind of an academic argument. Let's get to the only unpardonable sin. This question comes up a lot. People don't want to commit an unpardonable sin. They get afraid. Have I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? Um, The only unpardonable sin I see currently today is to deny that Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. So... Jesus is real clear. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life.
1: If you're asking that question, have I committed it, you haven't. (laughs) Right.
3: Right. You're probably not callous, so callous that you've committed it. Because it's coming from a hardened heart where you're not even one
1: to ask the question. Or if
3: you think you've, and I've run into people that are obsessed with this, or if you think you've committed it, ask forgiveness. Repent. Repent. And move on.
0: Someone may be... Concerned that they've done that, and because of their uh, yes. interpretation of this verse, they will not be forgiven.
3: I've actually met uh, OCD—you know, the obsessive-compulsive mind that gets fixated on certain things. This type of verse can really be a burden mm-hmm. to to folks that get fixated or stuck on something. Yeah, and and I—that is not of the Lord. I would say, if you think you've done it, confess it, repent, and move on.
0: Yeah, it's a good word. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go to the final question. During the Good Friday service, there was a reading out of Genesis about the curses that Adam and Eve received. Eve was told by God that her desire will be for her husband, but he will rule over her. Do you think that if Adam had been the first to eat the fruit of the tree, that women would rule over men? As in independent and assertive females, these verses, as as an independent and assertive female, these verses, along with how the church has treated women in some cases, confining them to children's ministry and women's ministry, for example, can be extremely frustrating. I feel that women have been oppressed in some cases by men interpreting these verses wrongly.
3: I feel that women have been oppressed too, um, in some cases, by men interpreting these verses wrongly. Um, the curse spoken in Genesis 3 is was never meant to be licensed. For men to mistreat women.
1: Could I just be even before we enter this conversation, laying like some foundation? Um, when we're talking about women's roles and things like that, it's 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 a spectrum. People fall along a spectrum, but wherever people land on that spectrum, the thing that we should all agree on is that all people and all genders are worthy of dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. And if you are taking a passage and using it as a weapon to strip somebody of their dignity, um, that that is unchristlike
2: yeah.
3: and wrong. Yeah, all of humanity was made in the image of God.
2: Yeah, it's just that people who do that don't know that they're doing that. So it's a good word. It's a good reminder. It's just not quite. We're preaching like, to the choir. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I'm using scripture to weaponize people. I didn't realize that. Right. That's that's the unfortunate part of the conversation at times. But agreed. Go yeah. on.
3: So I do think that this scripture and many other scriptures have been misused. And um, as Samo points out. <laughs> Um, those that misuse them don't always recognize that they're, they're weaponizing scripture. Um, I'm, I'm glad that an independent assertive female who wants to lead is listening to and present in worship at Glowing Bible Church. That's, that's fun. I, I have two daughters in their twenties. I hope that they are full of the Holy Spirit and find their gifts and utilize them in the church and, and if their gifts are to lead, and both my daughters, I think, have leadership gifts, then, man, I hope they lead. I So the initial question is, do you think that if Adam had been first to eat the fruit of the tree, that wom- women would have ruled over men? And so I'm afraid that the question asker is um, misunderstanding the curse. The, the curse is just that it, it's it's not uh, an affirmation of design. It was, it's, a, it's a description of how things are going to go badly. Mm-hmm. God's not showing up and saying, hey, because you did this, you're now punished and you'll be forever under the thumb of, of um, men. Mm-hmm. He's saying, because you've done this, the consequence is that the relationship between men and women is going to be broken. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be a bad outcome.
0: Mm-hmm. And I actually prefer the ESV translation in this particular verse because it says something, it uses the word contrary, and I know the other uh, interpretations don't, but because the other interpretations always made me feel like your desire will be for your husband, that the, the woman is just running circles around the husband going, I desire you, I desire you, <laughs> I desire, and this is the, the result of the curse, but the ESV says your desires will be contrary to your husband, and so what that paints for me is the picture that your marriage is going to be really, really Really difficult. Yeah, you are going a, to desire different things. There's a tug of war. There is a tug of war happening, yeah. whereas before it was harmonious. Yeah. Now it's going to be.
3: You know. uh, yeah. So, I, I've just got three bullets here. The fall broke the. The fall broke through the rebellion of humanity, both Adam and Eve's. Uh, it broke the relationships, and the curses spoken by God were indications that. That male-female relationships are under this this burden, this tug of war. Mm-hmm. In Christ, all this is going to be restored. There is an, an equity and blessing. Um, but I would say, for me, uh, I have a complementarian theology. The fall and subsequent restoration of all things through Christ does not negate the design of male headship. So for me, men will. Uh, will through Christ now lovingly and sacrificially lead in home and church. In other words, the tug of war, because of the redemption of Christ, men will find their rightful place to bless women and empower them, Mm -hmm. serve them lovingly. Mm -hmm. But the design is still in place. The design that there's... uh, for me male headship in home and church. So it the de, the design of male headship was not all that it could be because sin entered the world. And mm-hmm.
1: talking about a spectrum everybody kind of falls along a different line would you say then Kelly that um this idea of headship and all the verses that, that talk about that are specifically in regard to churches and Christian homes, that this isn't a a, a general statement for all women in, in the business world or.
3: Right. I, I think that I would limit it to uh, that. God's design is for home and church. Like I'd have no problem voting and for a female president mm-hmm. and, Yeah. So, can I
2: talk to this woman? Sure. (laughs) Like, literally, can I talk to you? (laughs) I I just want to just recognize that as uh, she identifies herself as independent and assertive. And I get that. And I truly, this woman, you can call me um, because there are so many really rich, in depth resources that help. People and she might know this. I don't want to assume that she's never she hasn't done any work on this. But there's just so many good resources um, in interpreting the roles of men and women, the egalitarian and the complementarian views that are really empowering. That don't necessarily put everything in a clean box. And I think that's what I love about you, Kelly. And I will say it publicly forever: is that you're so easy to talk to about this. Oh, you're sweet. No, I mean it. And it's important for others to know that. Um, Especially this woman, that um, this is a safe church to have these conversations. And Mm -hmm. if you get to a point where you're dogmatic about your theology on this specific topic, then that's a question you have to decide. Is this still the right place for you? Um, But if you're in process or you're exploring or you want to know what the leadership thinks or you want to, you want to, Dissect this and and find the um, resources and the skills to interpret scripture. um, This is also a place in which you can do that. So I just want to tell this woman that she's so 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 not alone. Um, And the other thing I want to say to her, and I know that I I know she probably means well. I want to give her the best of intentions when she says confining women to children's ministry and women's ministry is that. I, I know the women who lead those ministries at Glen Island Bible who um, are fantastic leaders and they are using their gifts to, I think, the fullest extent. And 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 I don't want to speak on their behalf, but they are I, – I don't feel like they feel confined. They are doing an amazing job in what they're doing. And Amy Coyle especially is discipling my children. And I have this conversation with her all the time. So I just really want to like – I don't want – I don't think she's implying that women's ministry and children's ministry
3: is lesser. Exactly.
2: Or, yeah. I, I really want to highlight the, fa- the fabulous work that women leaders at Glen Ellen Bible are doing, particularly. And frankly,
3: they're not limited to that at Glen Bible. W- right. Women I just, aren't, right. I just,
2: right. I just, I just was like, Oh, that word confining them is I know what she means. It does happen. It does happen. It's it does happen yeah. Right. But I, I also just don't want to diminish the beautiful work in leadership that, Aaron and Amy specifically are doing here at Glallon Bible.
1: So um, kind of the story of PCCs before the adoption is that we had uh, female elders. And um, that was probably the area that we spent the most time talking about in that exploratory phase of like, if this could work. And we didn't want to make the decision unless every single one of our elders was on board, including the female elders. And where we landed was what we see highlighted the most throughout the Bible is the character of the leaders. And we really wanted to know the character of this church and what you're talking about with Kelly, that openness, uh willingness to have a conversation, genuinely trying to interpret the Bible. Well, we saw that and, um, that's, that's the church um, that you guys mm-hmm. are attending and it's, mm-hmm. it's a
0: joy to be a part of that. Yeah. yeah. I think just a final, for me, at least a final word on it. Um, I still think about what was told to, to me and my wife as we were standing at the altar.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, well, we were in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, so right on the ocean, but you altar. Got you got know.
2: married in Puerto Did you really? <laughs> yeah. Ah.
0: And Rob Toll married us, actually. Rob Toll was our That's pastor. So cool. um, and Rob pointed out, you know, he talked briefly on the wives submitting kind of thing. And I'm married to a very strong woman, mm. like very Good opinionated, man. very strong. I love it. Um, but like... While she is called to be submissive, I am called to die for her.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the New <laughs> like, Testament burden is much heavier on men it, than women.
0: But right, like,
3: yeah, and, and so, yeah, shed blood, go to the cross. Those two,
0: thi- if you can truly combine those two things, it's beautiful. And if you can do that well, I, I can't speak for women, but I would think like, who doesn't want a husband that would die for you? hopefully every day right and and that to me that has a wide range of meaning die that doesn't mean i'm just going to jump in front of a bullet for my family that's sure. like i'm going to die to this really horrible thing that i want to say right now right mm-hmm. i'm going to I'm gonna stop. That. I'm gonna yield. I'm gonna make that die. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna lift her up. I'm gonna.
3: All the flesh that's so common and masculine. Oh man. All the ego. Oh gosh. We're gonna put that to death.
0: Yeah. Constantly putting things to death in a man's life.
1: I'm gonna take care of the kids because I can see you're overwhelmed. I'm gonna do the dishes tonight because you've had a long day at work. You know that. Just this idea of like, how can I die to myself and my own desires to Sherry love my t- wife today? Sherry yeah.
3: told me this morning she's gonna write a country western song titled "You Don't Make the Bed Anymore." so as i hear you talk about doing dishes and (laughs) i uh, one of i clearly have something i need to die to and start making the bed again
0: you know we had uh there was a tough season we were living in the city and it was really tough like i was working just about every day of the week i worked at the church but then i also had a little side gig so that jennifer could stay home she it was her lifelong dream to stay home and be with the kids she wanted to homeschool like she had all these dreams is it from the time she was a little girl and for me, like, I went off and lived life and was a rock star for a while, and it was kind of like the way I justified it in my mind. I was like, well, I lived my dream. Why would I not want my wife to live her dream? So I'll work these two jobs, and we'll be good. And, mm-hmm. and there was just this season probably around the time kid number two came, and it was just like I'd come home from work, and I just want to come in and chill. Like, I want to come in and not talk to anybody, and I want to come in and just turn off, and, I, you know, and I – and this was just day after day, and obviously that wasn't happening. And I was just getting frustrated that I had no me time. I had no time to decompress. It was just not happening. And I went in and talked to the lead pastor there. I was just like, what, what do I do? You know? And this may not be the best advice, but it spoke to me. He was just like, right before you open the door, you pray. You ask God for more stamina, for more endurance. I love that advice. And then you buck up because you're the man, you're the husband. Suck it up,
3: buttercup. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) awesome. you serve,
0: yeah, Like, And I know that's not the, in some ways, that's not the healthiest thing. But for me, it was good advice and it actually worked. And then I was able to have conversations. I felt peace. I did feel more energy. I think there was a supernatural transaction that happened where I was enabled. But I was also able to be real and be honest with Jennifer and just be Mm -hmm. like, can, you know, how can this work? And, Mm -hmm. you know, but the lead pastor's point was like, this is a season. It's not life. Mm -hmm. You know, he's 30 years older than me. You know what I mean? There's just wisdom coming in there. Mm -hmm. But I do think that men and women are built differently and we do have different capabilities. And I don't know that if a, the wife would have come in and asking for that same kind of advice, he would have said the same thing to her. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I don't, you're looking at me. I, I just want to say that I think the heart of what you're all trying to communicate that I agree with is particularly within marriage, it's a partnership. But other than that, there's no definition biblically of roles in dishes and raising kids and oh, homeschooling yeah. and yeah. all yeah. of that. Partnership. So, Good yeah, point. I, yeah. I, so, for someone who doesn't homeschool, who works full time, and doesn't volunteer at my kid's school, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do in some capacity. But anyway, point is, uh, we just I,
3: serving one another is the point. I think,
2: yeah, I think what we're looking for in the heart of this conversation is that within the context of men and women and them flourishing in the way that God has designed them, it, a healthy marriage recognizes how your partner flourishes and you push them to that flourishing. That's awesome. You. Serve them. You hold them into this high esteem and regard. The only reason why I am able to do the things that I do is because I have a husband who's standing behind me saying, "Go, babe, go." And That's if awesome. that was home and that was, you know, yeah. doing the things that we define, yeah, right. in a in a different context, he'd be saying the same thing. Yep. And it's and it's it's it goes the same way to him as I'm his biggest fan, his biggest cheerleader, saying whatever it is that. Is God has designed you for it, that that you flourish and you lead our home. I am the first person behind you to, awesome. to encourage you. So I just get a little nervous. My heart starts pounding real hard when we start getting specific. It was
3: just <laughs> my context, just yeah. my context.
2: Yeah, but I know that's the heart of what we all yeah. share in this room yeah. is that it's all about just seeing your partner flourish by out serving them, you know, out loving them mm-hmm. as best as you can. That's the heart of what a flourishing marriage looks like. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate to text the next level podcast 630 474
1: Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith.
2: We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our
3: Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to The Next Level. Boom! Prophecy.